Hello and welcome to Season 1, Episode 6 of the Scene From Above podcast. I'm Alistair. And I'm Andrew. And we are your hosts for a show that aims to bring you an informal discussion about the cool things happening in and around the world of Earth observation at the moment. You can reach us on Twitter using the hashtag SceneFromAbove. You can access the Scene From Above podcast from our websites, jogger.co.uk and acgspatial.co.uk. You can find us on iTunes. Alistair has a page on his website detailing all the multiple different ways of accessing this podcast. Please do check it out. Okay, shall we crack on with the news? The news. News in April, early April. I saw... <laughs> I saw a thing on April Fool's Day about space junk removal and instantly thought, am I being fooled or not? There's a lot of focus at the moment on removal of space junk. And while it's not necessarily our topic of interest, Envisat, which is an enormous satellite, isn't it, that's not working anymore, yeah, that's right. is in a orbit that's going to be continuous for a long time, um, from what I believe. Size of a double-decker bus, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. The standard unit of anything is a double decker bus or whale yes. or what's the other thing? There's a web page you can you can look at that. You can put your measurements in and find how many double decker buses it is. Oh excellent. Um the removal of junk. So two things, potentially a harpoon, which sounds quite promising. This is quite a cool idea where it, where it effectively shoots a harpoon at, at a satellite and captures it and drags it in. And the other one, which I'm even still not 100% sure is not an April Fool's, is this idea of a big net. Seems that it's a, a kosher approach. So this challenge to capture Envisat is heating up. Oh, cool. That's, uh, yeah, it's interesting stuff, definitely. Space fishing, I like that. <laughs> yeah, and also, I mean, we talked about the Humanities Star, didn't we? And that's, that's re-entered and oh, yeah. burnt up. And the, uh, I was following the... Chinese space station was lost. Um, they lost control of it uh, a few years ago, and that's come back in now, hasn't it? Uh, burnt up. Yes, yeah, big story. Whatever remained over the South Pacific, I think it was. That's correct, yeah. yeah. And interestingly, today, the Planet Labs or the Planet Dove, I think Flock E, that was dispatched from the International Space Station, which is a really amazing video, they've come, in, they've come back in and burnt up. Or about to burn up. So they don't last long then. I, I was quite surprised seeing that they were coming in, um, they were burning up again. But I suppose it's because they're in a, a low orbit. Yeah, I think that um, these ones that were dispatched, released, uh, launched, orbited from the ISS in 2016 are on a slightly different orbit. So they generally have a shorter shelf life. Um, I, think, I think the dubs last, last a little bit longer than that. There is an agreement somewhere that says all these CubeSats have to return or reach end of life by a certain amount of time. Okay. That's good to know. That's a nice digression, but it's, it's interesting stuff, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, I've got a quick announcement to read out. That something I, I saw on the 3rd of April. We're recording this on the 5th. There's an announcement of the first year of the Earth on AWS Fellowships and Internships Programme. And this looks really cool um, so basically it works with customers to fund interns and fellows to conduct research on the use of geospatial data using the cloud so aws amazon web services are working with the following companies azavia development seed element 84 synergize and skywatch 
and they're all pretty well known uh, within the sector. Um, so this this looks a brilliant idea. If you apply and you get chosen, uh, you benefit from funding and you get credits for use of AWS. You also get some training and you get access to all of the data. And obviously you, you benefit as well from um, dealing with those companies. This looks really, really good. So if you're a, someone who thinks that you want to either be an intern or you think you can be a fellow, I would uh, go and follow the link that we'll put in the show notes and see where you get, because this is an amazing opportunity. Yeah, I agree. Could you, could you imagine this being the case five years ago? No, no, exactly. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Brilliant opportunity. And those companies that you've listed are really great companies, I think. Yeah, they're, they're all leading from the front and, and you know, they've changed the way that remote sensing has been done. And along with AWS, I think all of them are creating a really good ecosystem for this type of fellowship and internship program. Yeah. Yeah, that's a cool announcement. What else have you got? The most impressive thing I've seen recently is a medium post by Planet Stories of slightly, well, quite off angle images taken from around the world. Uh, I think it says at the top it takes a, a few minutes to read, but you you cannot but be impressed by the the planet itself. So there's a couple of really good ones of cities that stick out with their elevations of their tall buildings, and all around it it, it appears really flat. It gives you a real sense of of place. It, it's a, it's a geographer's dream, in a way. I would say that you get you get the idea of the scale. Long have we needed images from directly above. But these off-angle off images, I don't know how much use they are uh, from a remote sensing point of view, but from a, from a sheer visibility and um, they, marketing. Yeah, they view, are stunning. I'm looking at them. Yeah. Yeah, the mountains ones. Are, that's bonkers. Wow, this is a brilliant post, yeah. It is a brilliant post, and I, I think it's rightly gained a huge amount of uh, interactions. Oh, my God. Sorry, I'm just looking at the uh, Angel Falls. That is amazing. There, there are some really great. I mean, every time I look at it, I've got I have a new favourite bookmark for me, and will be referred to uh, countless times. I think in the future. So another thing that I've seen um, is this idea of a UK spaceport, and we've just had this UK space bill being passed or about to be passed in the British Houses of Parliament. And this is this um, idea that space is an incredibly important and growth industry uh, for British business and enterprise. And the spaceport is, this announcement I've seen is the first step towards actually getting a spaceport. So there's, there's a few places in contention, including Cornwall and Wales and Scotland. And that's pretty cool. And it, and it, it allows us to, to be a bit more competitive. I think that would be a pretty great thing to have. Just being able to say that we have a spaceport would be a really beneficial thing for the UK. Would you um, would you go into space? God, yeah. yeah, there you are. <laughs> the drop of a hat, I would go into space. I would love to. It would be um, absolutely top of my list, I think, of things to do. Although I went to um, the Science Museum a couple of years ago when they were having the cosmonaut um, exhibition there. And I don't know if you went to that. But they showed the capsules that Gagarin and a couple of the other um, early cosmonauts went up in. These people were basically just put into a small can. They, had, they could move their arms. That was about it. 
and it must have been the most frightening thing in the world to be shot up there on the back of a massive ballistic missile and then to come down uh, whilst you're basically burning up about I don't know I think it was something like 40 or 50 centimeters from your backside you have to really trust that the engineers knew what they were doing I don't know if you saw on the BBC news site um, something about Antarctica giving ground to the ocean was more or less the um, headline and it was to do with loss of ice down in Antarctica and something it, but rather than ice that was being lost on the surface it was warmer oceans are beginning to to melt the ice from below and a bunch of scientists had used cryosat which is a european uh, satellite that's used to to monitor ice ch and changes in ice and it was really interesting because these ice flows are, and are basically floating out on the ocean they'd worked out that changes in the surface height were related to loss of ice thickness and therefore they could work out how much the ice was melting due to warming of the seas and it's, it's a really interesting article and there's been some really good graphics as well that have come off of it um, and it's good to see that yet another European satellite is um, helping tell the story of changing environment around the world. Cool. Right, any more news? Uh, yep. One more thing. So registration is now open for a Copernicus workshop on water management, and that's on the 29th of May 2018 in Brussels. This is basically to try and explore the user needs around water management domain and trying to link up Copernicus uh, with the Water Framework Directive, which you may have heard of, and the Marine Strategy Framework Directive, which I hadn't heard of, but it makes sense that the EU has one. If you're around in Europe, it might be quite an interesting one to go to because um, they're talking about all sorts of things to do with drinking water, bathing water, uh, wastewater management, food energy, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, I, I think uh, you've just reminded me to, to say that when Sentinel-3B is launched, there's also an event. I believe you can still sign up or register to have a place. I, I think there may be a, a, a selection criteria. But yeah, they do these um, social social um, events, and this one's done in Darmstadt in Germany. And I always thought that sounded like a very cool thing to be part of. So we don't have a topic really, do we, this week? No, no, we don't. What we'd like to do is to set up a series of a, a sort of quick questions to each other, and then use that to you know hopefully talk to other people to sort of um bring a kind of familiarity to our small podcast and um get an idea of some of the things that you know, are characters uh, in a way <laughs> and um i think we're gonna go in all sorts of funny directions with these questions <laughs> so we'll see how we get on but I, I think it's quite quite interesting and let's do question one the most obvious question what's your favorite satellite or sensor uh landsat 8 is probably my favorite one which is a bit of a an obvious one but i just think the whole landsat series for me is amazing in terms of its longevity and the quality of the data that's come out of it the fact it was the first satellite i think to open its data the first satellite program to open its data out to the world and it's just 
it's contributed so much and Landsat 8 is sort of the pinnacle of where that program's got to and Landsat 9 I saw that the contract has been signed to start building it so we're on course for continuation of the Landsat program which is great I'm I'm very much of a a medium resolution sort of a guy (laughs) what about you what's your favorite satellite or sensor oh well why didn't why didn't I go first it would have made things so much easier <laughs> um, for me there's there's so many to choose from isn't there yeah. i mean quickbird had an enormous impact for me um, when i was working uh, especially in remote areas and trying to map them that was launched in 2001 and allowed us to do mapping in high resolution not as high as we can achieve today but it had a had a big big impact for for the projects i was working in it allowed the company I was working for at the time to really consider high resolution satellite data as a viable product. I think any of the Sentinels would be a really good choice. And I also love the disruption that planets dubs have caused. Yes. Yeah. Um, I know that CubeSat sometimes polarize opinions, but this, this mission one image of the earth, one image a day, I think it's, I think it's great. And I, and I love that they've launched them from the, ISS. <laughs> However, having said all of that, <laughs> I have to agree with you. Um, and this is not this is this is coincidence, or maybe it's just the way it is. Landsat eight completely changed how I worked. Landsat eight, when that came out, I was really, really super impressed, and it, it feels like it set the scene. So, uh, describe Earth observation in one word. Okay, well, some people have mentioned that I say amazing too much in this (laughs) podcast, so I'm not going to say amazing, but I would say exciting. At the moment, it is absolutely up there with all of the really cool tech stuff that's happening. Just the scale at which the whole Earth observation remote sensing sector has moved on in everything, not just satellites, but in, in drones and aerial photography and all sorts of things and software to go with it. It's just unbelievable how different it is now compared to 15 20 years ago even five years uh most important eo thing to have happened in the last five years. cloud i think being able to stick data onto the cloud and move your processing there i think that is it's still in its infancy but for me i think that's that's the thing that is going to change the way earth observation is done i I think the most important thing to happen, EO, to happen in the last five years is open, open source, yeah. open data. Right. If you were, if you weren't working in this sector, what would you like to be doing? Does working for SpaceX count, or is that in this? Is that in this sector? Would you be taking pictures from uh, the car as you flew by? <laughs> Maybe. Um, so autonomous vehicles and electric vehicles, mainly. EVs, I'm more interested in that, but some of the technology around autonomous vehicles is also very cool. So working in in the industry within the electric vehicles market? Yeah, yeah, not a salesman. Developing the tech, I would love to develop the tech. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, that's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, it's... um, Yeah, I mean, it's just because I've I've recently bought an electric vehicle and it's the first one I've had and I'm still in that sort of oh my god it's amazing every time you describe it to someone you say oh well it takes 40 minutes to charge if you're doing rapid or it takes four hours five hours if you're doing it slightly slower and they sort of look at you and go like really that's a massive pain and I was initially thinking when I was buying it it's like oh it could be 
But actually, you change the way you do everything. It's, it's really hard to explain, but it is a brilliant experience only an electric vehicle. And I am a massive advocate of them. So if I wasn't doing remote sensing, it would definitely be something to do with electric vehicles. How has it worked, digressing slightly, when you've gone to see other people and said, can I plug in? They're usually really excited, actually, because I'll, I'll always ping them a message beforehand and say, like, oh, I'm going to be with you at whatever time. Is there, is there anywhere I can, yeah. can plug in? Oh, yeah, if you weren't working in the sector, what would you like to be doing? Well, today, probably more data science, I guess, which is sort of what I feel I do most of the time. I'm a geographer from university training. I was always quite interested in rivers. So I quite like the idea of working in fluvial environments. And I, having spent my working life behind a computer, I like the idea of working outdoors a bit more. I think in truth, I'd like to do 100 different jobs in a year. Yeah. <laughs> and then really know what, what yeah. they were like. I thought I would find that quite fascinating, I think. Let's move on to more data things. Um, Shapefile or TIFF? Cloud-optimised GeoTIFF. Woo! Of course. I mean, I think they're both totally, totally different things, really, yeah. aren't they? I mean, a Shapefile, it's brilliantly named, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> I mean, you know, it is a shape. It's a file. It's many files. It has many limitations. It polarises opinion like you wouldn't believe. But I, I, I do like GeoTIFFs. So I'd say yeah. GeoTIFFs. Yeah. I've started using GeoPackage format files for my vector files recently and i love them i think they're really good yeah but every single client i talk to if even if they're talking about something that it, you know it's just a vector they'll always talk in terms of shape files i don't know my gut feeling is always with the incumbent you've got to do something that it cannot do or something that makes life so much easier um um ArcGIS or QGIS? QGIS. I I will confess I primarily use a GIS package just for viewing my data, basically as a viewer. ArcGIS I haven't used for years. QGIS gets stronger and stronger. QGIS 3, which has recently come out, is just brilliant. And QGIS, I think, is a real flagship, again, for open source uh, around geospatial software. It's For me, um, I don't know. Did I write this question? <laughs> I instantly regret trying to answer this question. I, I feel about software generally agnostic. I don't think it's necessarily okay. either or neither. I really like QJS. I don't want to knock ArcGIS. Um, I've worked with it for a long time. Uh, and I've worked with QJS for a long time. I'm pretty familiar with both. I'm also prepared to use any other tool that best fits for the job. I don't feel negatively about either, but I use QJS the most. I'm a big fan of open source. Um, I, I just think the way it's developed through communities is a really powerful way of developing software. So QGIS automatically gets a sort of tick yeah. from me. But at the same time, I use Sarka GIS more than either of those two. So yeah, just that wasn't in the question. <laughs> okay, which Sentinel? Uh, Sentinel 1A. No more questions. Next one. <laughs> I feel that the most important Sentinel is Sentinel-1. I may be wrong, actually, but I think it's the first freely available SAR satellite. And if you work with data that's impacted by clouds, you commonly will say, I can do this with Proviso, I can get a cloud-free image or you know, mitigate against the clouds. Sentinel-1 is being used in 
the UK and I assume Europe and, pro and probably the, the wider world to do some amazing mapping things now. Uh, and I'm primarily thinking about land cover maps. I don't know whether this was planned or not, but I think it was very good to launch a SAR sensor as Sentinel-1 because I don't think it would have got as much hype in the media had they launched, say, the sensors that are now currently Sentinels yeah. 2 and 3 and then launched a SAR one. I don't think people would be that excited. The fact that they launched something that was open data and it was throwing out data right, right from the beginning, there were absolute masses of data. And it was something that people hadn't really seen before. I think it really got people talking about uh, the Sentinel platforms and, and Copernicus. And then they could build on that. And for you? Uh, Sentinel-3, although I haven't really used it, but some of the images are really beautiful, I've got to say. And I, I really want to start using it a bit more. Uh, yeah, at the moment, I think Sentinel-3 intrigues me most. An alternative universe, we answer Sentinel-2 to virtually every question. <laughs> so it's, um, I feel like we've cheated on it a little bit, but Definitely. Uh, interesting, interesting answers. Uh, so high high resolution, like a penultimate question: high res temporal imagery or high res spatial imagery? For me, this is high res temporal. I think that interests me more. You can get more out of the data. Um, although that's not to say that some of the ultra high resolution spatial stuff that's coming out and about now isn't super interesting to look at. Yeah. Um, but for me, temporal. Yeah, for me, temporal as well. I think. Um, I thought actually I made a note that I almost guaranteed that you were going to say actually it's multispectral. <laughs> <laughs> so I, my prediction was wrong, but I thought you were going to say it's not. It's neither of those. It's it's multispectral. But I think multispectral will be back. Last one: geography, physics, or computer science. Um, I'm a geographer, a physical geographer, so I would say geography. But I really, really wish I was a physicist. <laughs> <laughs> I say geography as well. Why? Why physics? Um, just because uh, with physics, my maths would be better. As we've said, this is episode six of our first series, and we planned to do six episodes in the first series. I think we're both of the opinion that we will do a second series. Uh, I just want to say thank you to the listeners, and we've had people from all around the world listening to this. So thank you very much for listening and we hope you'll come back and continue to listen during series two in the meantime if you have any requests for new segments or topics for us to discuss or guests you'd like to hear from then please drop us a line through twitter so as at map underscore andrew or at ajg jogger and um, use the hashtag seen from above and that would be great to have your feedback okay Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Andrew, for your inputs in this one. It's been fun. Thank you, Alistair. I've I really enjoyed it. Until the next time, you can reach us at hashtag SeenFromAbove on Twitter, and you can also find us on iTunes. Please leave a review, and goodbye. Goodbye. See you soon. So the last thing I heard was backside. <laughs> <laughs> Take me with
Podcast music is Cracker Jacks and Tin Whistles by Ocean Heights and is licensed under the Attribution Non-Commercial Creative Commons license. Available on freemusicarchive.org.